0: Hello, I'm Scott Soskin, and I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Houston We Have a Problem Sports Business Podcast, the Sporticast.
1: I like it, but Vegas, we have a problem. Other sports entities, we have a problem. Not just Houston, even though Rocket had a deal with the rockets. Now, you and Daniel Libet, as I uh, classified it earlier, Mr. Novi Williams, had a journalistic tour de force. And I hope Mm -hmm. everybody reads the story because they can see I was not hyping. I was not lying. I was not overstating. I was not embellishing any of those things. The headline to your story, then I'll let you take it away. Rocket Leaves Trail of Millions in Deserted Deals, Lawsuits, and Bankruptcies. Go.
0: This is a profile, Scott, of of a company called Rocket, which some sports fans may know. They, a couple years ago, signed well over $100 million worth of sports sponsorship deals. We mentioned some of them at the top. They were the inaugural jersey patch partner for the Houston Rockets. They were the presenting sponsor, the, the naming rights partner for the Field when the Chargers were playing in the StubHub Center, they had a big deal with the with the with the Raiders that was supposed to include a, a field suite at Allegiant Stadium. When it opened, they had NASCAR deals, English Premier League soccer deals. This company was three or four years ago committing to huge spends uh, across sports and failed Scott to deliver on any of them. They never finished paying any of those deals. A lot of Rocket subsidiaries are now in bankruptcy. Some of these sports creditors have also sued the company, um, and, and it goes back even before the sports. There's a larger business story here about a company that seems to have consistently um, misled or tricked people into, into thinking their business was something when it wasn't, um, and, and has continued to operate like that for, for for more than more than two decades. So a really interesting read and a really interesting reporting process for Daniel and I just to kind of piece all the things together and. I felt like every rock we turned over, there was something more, some other sports deal that, 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 that we didn't know about before. Is a really fascinating one, and I hope people do read it.
1: Yeah, it was fascinating to sort of see the email or Slack chain, and you know, Dan Libbit would be like, oh my God, there's more. Wait a minute. Wait, no, we can't publish. There's something else. We found, <laughs> we found another little nugget that's interesting that we have to call people on. This reminds me of years ago, there was a guy by the name of John Spanos who mm-hmm. tried to buy the New York, or actually did buy the New York Island, but he just didn't have the money. Like a lot of the papers were forged. And now I'm not saying that here. I am not a, he wound up in jail. So I'm not alleging any illegalities. We'll see if that turns out to be the case. But sort of the legitimization, right? It's once Rocket appeared on the Jersey patch of the Houston Rockets, you almost get offended. I love that you, you included a line, like somebody in sports said, well, it would almost be offensive if we ask them now to justify who they were or to see their books. I mean, they're the Jersey patch of the Houston Rockets. So they must be okay, right? You are in essence outsourcing all of your due diligence on this company to whatever the processes were on another franchise. Well, if they did this, it must be okay.
0: Yeah, I, t- I think that's one of the most interesting questions and, and parts of this story, Scott, is essentially how how does this go on? How does a company that that is, is making essentially no money, very little in revenue, does not have the products that it purports to have, how does that company get to do big deals and commit to big deals with some of the biggest and smartest sports organizations in the world. And and you touched on it right there. And, And this is not just a sports thing. Obviously, I know VCs who, depending on who's invested in a company before them, won't do their due diligence because they just assume that these bigger, higher profile firms have already done it and can maybe do it better than them. I think there was part of that here as well, where let's take the Raiders, for example, they did their partnership with rocket after the chargers and the rockets had they, I know they, they, they spoke with, people at the, at the Rockets and the Chargers, it sounded like they were still being paid at that moment when the Raiders were doing their due diligence. And, and there's a billionaire we should mention, John Paul DeJoria, who is the backer of Rocket, and he is the co-founder of Patron, the co-founder of Paul Mitchell. He is a very successful and very legitimate whoa, whoa, big-time whoa, whoa. For, Hold on,
1: hold on, hold on. I'm not going to let you get away with just the co-founder of Paul Mitchell. For those of us of a certain age, <laughs> if you've seen the Paul Mitchell commercials, he puts himself front and center. You know, yeah. He's the somewhat distinguished man with the ponytail. Like, exactly that's exactly the right. guy we're talking that's about. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not just like, oh, he's the co-founder. You know, you Ricky. he's a very recognizable face and he's at the center of this as well.
0: Exactly. So I think for a lot of these teams, John Paul DeJoria would would appear at meetings trying to negotiate these things. You know that he has money. He had just at this moment sold, I think it was 70% of Patron in a 5 billion dollar deal. You knew he had cash. And again, you could call other teams and say, hey, you did this deal. Is everything OK so far? Yes. Um, and then the Raiders jumped ahead and, and, and did their deal. I think it was a $60 million deal. And within a, a year, the check stopped coming. Uh, And this is right around 2019. It's right before the pandemic started, but right around this time, essentially every sports team that, that that had a deal with rocket realized that the, that the money was not going to be coming in. Um, And, and this is Scott, you know, this, you mentioned um, you you mentioned Spanos right there. A lot of folks I I spoke with for this story in the sponsorship world all said that this is, you, you hate to see this obviously, but it's not incredibly unusual for sports teams to sign partnerships and the company goes out of business, or the company goes bankrupt, or something happens, and and this. Well, we've seen plenty of crypto names already fruit.
1: come off of buildings. Yeah, I mean, we, we understand hundred
0: percent, and that that is that specifically is one of the things I thought about a lot during this story. Is this idea of, of, of how much partners get vetted, how much the vetting actually matters in in some ways? If if you do a ten year deal worth ten million dollars a year, and the next closest offer was five years at, at six million, if you only get two or three years at that ten million dollar number and then have to hit the marketplace again in three years. Maybe that's not a horrible thing financially for your group. It, it may be It may be difficult to do kind of logistically. But in some ways, I think there's a lot of people, and crypto is a good example, where they're getting big potential sponsorship opportunities, maybe by companies they don't have the full faith, are going to be able to deliver the full length of the term. But there's a lot of money up front right now, and, and they're chasing that.
1: Now, not a lot of people wanted to comment, so I'm just curious what answers did you get that you were sated by and what questions do you still have?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest question that, the biggest question that we have throughout the whole process was, was essentially, how does this continue to happen? But before all the sports deals, this company Rocket was sued by a number of the biggest uh, record labels in, in the world. Because of deals that they had uh, for for music sharing that that they had reneged on, so you saying uh, like
1: a modicum of due diligence should have created some red flags. And,
0: and and the sports teams that we spoke with that had rocket deals, they they were unaware of of those record label lawsuits before, and it's unclear how, how how public they were unaware of those lawsuits before they did their deals. But but how much does this how does this keep happening? And and right now, Scott, if you were to turn on various motorsports over the weekend, you would have seen. The rocket logo. They they have a sponsor a car in 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 NHRA the drag racing. DeJoria's daughter actually Alexis DeJoria is a is a professional racer in that circuit. They had a Formula E team that finished second in the Formula E standings this past year. The best snooker player in the world competes with Rocket on his uh, on his uniform. There's a whole lot of sports deals that are still. In place right now, despite the fact that, again, the biggest deals that they've had, deals like with the Rockets, are now tangled up into bankruptcies and breach of contract lawsuits.
1: Perhaps then that is the. Uh the one that makes the most sense, because it it would seem as if a number of these sports entities have been snookered. <laughs> I
0: knew exactly where you were yeah, going. Right. You right. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, well, we've
1: been doing this uh, <laughs> a, a very long time, so I, I would hope you you would. Um, so, where where do we stand? Uh, is there legal action? Like, uh, who is where, who is suing? Where do we stand on there, it?
0: There's a lot of legal action. Both the Houston Rockets and Williams Racing, which is an F1 team, they have both won essentially arbitration awards against Rocket uh, for more money. The Raiders, from what we understand, have not taken any legal action, although they are listed as a creditor for millions of dollars on the in one of the bankruptcy filings. So it's it's certainly possible that the Raiders either have or could in the future decide to take. Uh, more action. Do we know if DeJoria is in any way, shape or form personally responsible? This is the this is the other kind of big, enduring question beyond just the sports deals in, in the Rocket R-O-K-I-T and in, in the Rocket universe. How much DeJoria is involved, is aware of and wants to continue to back this company as we said dejoria is a billionaire the, the 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 total amount credited in the six bankruptcies is around 100 million dollars 100 plus million dollars that is a check that that uh, that john paul dejoria theoretically could could cut if he wanted to and, and may, maybe make a lot of this stuff go away he at least seems unwilling to do that and we heard from a few people maybe some rumors that 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 maybe he had had a falling out and, and maybe wasn't backing the company to the extent that 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 he was years past that's the, one of the big questions, again. It, it, John Paul DeJoria's presence here was one of the things that gave all of these sports teams a lot of confidence that they could go ahead and do these deals. And it's very unclear at this point, now that things have gone sour, how much of his money is going to be involved in making people whole, settling any of these lawsuits in the bankruptcy proceedings at all.
1: Uh, what are the team, uh, finally, what do the team folks, the sports sponsorship folks, tell you looking ahead? Uh, are, are they, are they, uh, is there trepidation now? Is there, is there a lesson learned? Is there a change in, in MO? Anything that they're telling you? Uh, moving forward,
0: I think the answer probably Scott is no, and I think the the crypto conversation we just had may be a good a so good here we example, go example right. a good example of it. And and I talked to some people who remember when when the Rockets deal was done. We put this in the piece as well. It was essentially like a bat signal to all of sports franchises, like hey, here's a company that is willing to cut 10 ten plus million dollar deals in sports. So a lot of companies I know reached out, and a lot of teams reached out to Rocket to to see if they might be interested in in, in working with them. All of these deals fell apart before any of those other deals got done. Someone did tell me though that if Rocket had paid its sponsorships for another maybe 12 to 18 months, that there may have been a, a ton more Rocket sponsorship deals out there in sports. It just happened that, that that they started, you know, failing to pay on on the terms before a lot of those other deals could get done. I do think that there could have been a lot more rocket deals out there if the company had been able to pay for just a little bit longer. But yeah, moving forward, sure, I think that due diligence probably varies a lot depending on the type of deal, what team is doing it, which sales agency is doing it, and also kind of what the company's track record is already. I, I would love to say that that this this may be a lesson learned for people. Who knows? I mean, I, again, I think, and we've seen it already with with some of the the smaller crypto lenders and crypto platforms. I think it's sometimes you just can't know. Things can look legitimate. People can have money. There can be a billionaire backer who's sitting across the table from you, talking about how excited he is to, to be a part of your organization or, or or to be a part of of what you're building. And then things can change. So I, I don't think this is the first, and it's not going to be the last. I do think one of the most interesting things about Rocket is, is both the scale. And the the amount of different industries this thing seems to have touched.
1: All right. I'm going to let you pick where we go next. I mean, we mentioned, you know, John Spanos and Islanders. That kind of brings us to NHL, which is starting this week. That also brings us to New York Rangers. And we had a story about MSG and the Dolan family. So, I'll let you pick where you want to start with NHL, and then you know we'll get to MSG if you want to at the Dolans, or you can start with straight-up hockey. You tell me where you want to go. You did such a good job on this story (laughs) that your reward is you get to pick the second segment on our podcast.
0: Lucky guy. Uh, Let's go with the overall hockey. The season technically already started. There were a couple games in Europe uh, already, but the season starts in earnest this week. Scott, you and I are both huge hockey fans. I, I'm curious what you're looking at as big storylines heading into this year, second year uh, on, on the with the ESPN uh, Turner share, um, which I think was was a big success for the league and both those networks last year. I'm curious, but what's on your radar as as hockey starts up?
1: I am looking at what sort of the new breed of owner, if you will, mm. the Josh Harris, and I know they're not you know neophytes and rookies. I get it but the guys who have not been around for 20, 30 years, right? I was recently uh, sitting with Scott Malkin, the owner of the New York Islanders, and you know, we, we had a nice chat about, believe it or not, he was asking a lot of questions about Sportico. He was super interested hmm. in media and what we're doing and our business model. It was, it was really, really good, but sort of your newer owners and at a time when media is, is, is really driving valuations and you know, where do they see the NHL? Where do they want these teams to go? Because I can tell you a bunch of them do see the NHL as undervalued. Yep. They think there should be, at least in, in the franchise valuations, maybe a 10 to 20% higher boost. Um, we see private equity, of course, being sprinkled across the NHL as well. So for us and what we do, I'm sort of looking at these, these newer owners and wondering, what's their creative mode? Where are they going to go? Because which, which owner was I talking to? Uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter. But I found it interesting that even the owners are sort of bringing the very basic argument of, you know, unless you bring somebody into the arena, it's hard to make them a hockey fan. Hmm. You know, they, don't have to, they don't have to strap on skates and play. But what we need to do, this owner said, was get people in our buildings. Let them see the entire presentation. It's multi It's multi-sense you see it you hear it you feel it you know let everybody get that and then see if they fall in love with the game and maybe translate to watching on tv and other touch points but i'm really curious to see what these owners do to to drive interest and and sort of create more hockey fans
0: would it be fair to think of this moment as what you're talking about kind of like what happened in the nba let's say 8 years ago where, where there was a a quick turnover of a lot of new style younger private equity tech investors in in the NBA. And And a lot of those are the same people, by the way. A lot of them are the same people, for sure. I do think that has helped the NBA kind of push itself in in a lot of new directions that maybe would not have have gone in if the ownership groups had stayed in kind of the same mode that they had been in prior.
1: Yeah. And a lot of that, by the way, you know, Gary Bettman's been around a a long time, the longest tenured commissioner. Um, I'm curious what, you know, David Stern had a succession plan You know, everybody knew that Adam Silver was working and he was going to be the next commissioner of the NBA. I don't, at least they haven't said it out loud. I don't think in speaking with the owners, anybody has a clue as to what the plan is there. And I know they'd like one. Where are you going? What kind of, is it somebody from in-house? I don't know who that would be. Frankly, I would guess no. But what's the background? What are you trying to um, have the league become? What's the background you want from this person? Who are you grooming? What are you grooming? What's the culture? You know, a lot of these questions have gone unanswered. So uh, for that reason, I'm kind of just looking at where is the NHL going? Where are you going from here? How do you create new fans? What are the new revenue streams? Real estate, of course, is, is one of those components. Media is one of those components. Um, what else is there out there for these NHL teams? I'm curious what he got like Tom Dundon, you know, with the, with the Hurricanes. What does he see? I, I love the fact that he went back. It's a little thing, but when they have the Whaler Night and they wear the, the Hartford Whalers jersey, and I, I love that. I, I I, I think that's that's good for the league so what does he see what is this new blood what do they want to do
0: one other thing I'm looking at in the NHL season um and, and it's super polarizing what the coyotes are doing right now they're they're playing as they as they try to get a new arena playing on campus at Arizona state, an extremely small venue. I don't know the exact number you may know. Is it 5,000? It's something like that. There's a very few amount of, of seats there.
1: It's 5,000.
0: I am am really intrigued by what that looks like and what lessons actually may be learned from that. I know that a 5,000 seat arena is not ideal for the NHL. I'm sure it's not ideal for the coyotes. It's definitely not ideal for the players, However, I think the idea of a really small, cozy, I'm sure it's going to be loud, on-campus venue, I think that's really exciting. I would love to go to a oh, game yeah. there at some point. And to tie this to the conversation we just had, when the Chargers moved to LA a couple years before SoFi Stadium opened, they played a few ga- they played a few seasons, I think two seasons, in the StubHub Center, which is, is where the LA Galaxy play. It's a soccer stadium. It seats like 30,000 people. Yep. Everyone I know who went to games there loved it. They thought the the cozy confines, being able to see NFL games in that kind of setting, a much smaller, more intimate, still very loud setting, uh, people absolutely loved it. And and I wonder if there's lessons that are going to come out of this Coyotes season. Again, not not that teams are going to be jumping to move to 5,000-seat arenas, but if there might be something, a couple games a year in the local campus arena, whatever it is, if there may be some lessons about how exciting hockey can be in, in other settings other than the big 20,000-seat arenas that that seem to be pretty standard in in the NHL.
1: Well, that's why I'm curious to see what Steve Ballmer does with his new building. Because obviously, listen, everybody wants to make money. You don't want to lose money. I get it. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be Steve's principal driving interest. Like He can take some chances. And I would advise looking at the soccer supporters section. Yep and translating that to the best floor seats behind one of the hoops in a, in a basketball arena. Give me a 1,000, 500, I don't know, whatever it is. No seats, everybody stands, you're, you're jumping, you're, you're making noise. Obviously, you can't be blowing whistles, but I don't know. In, in the world championships, and as you know, I've covered a bunch of basketball world championships in my day. Let me tell you, I Eben, mean, it is an atmosphere like you've never seen. I mean, the flares, the music, the drums, the whole... It is like a fervent soccer match. And if you had an NBA building where that was the experience night in and night out, whew, let me tell you, that would be a big hit.
0: I can't speak to the Clippers fans, but the, I know there is a, a portion, I think they're calling it the wall behind one of the baskets in the new Clippers arena. That is, I think it is just a straight kind of bleacher style seating. Love it. It's Good. very steep. And from what I understand, it, it's called the wall largely because of the acoustic design of it that Mm -hmm. is supposed to be extremely loud. I imagine that's the basket that the, that the other teams will be going towards in the, in the fourth quarter, but it is supposed to be built architecturally in a way that makes things extremely loud. I'm fascinated to see that as well.
1: I have told you T-Mobile arena in Vegas, the difference Mm. maker there is the acoustics. Like I can feel when they want me to feel the, the event when they want me to vibrate, they kick in the subwoofers or whatever it is they have it. And I, and I can tell, that I'm in T-Mobile. There's something yep. different about it than every... It's not, it's not just like every other arena that say, oh, we're really loud. There's a difference there, and, it, and it's the vibration. They can, they can create that mood, that feel whenever they want.
0: Yeah, we're getting off on a tangent here, but the, w- it was either the Staples Center or the Forum in LA. One of those two, I think, had, uh, when it was designed, had big glass like front on, on the rows and things like that. And they realized that that was actually really bad for acoustics. Something about yep. the way that, that the, the the sound reverberated off of it, or maybe the way the glass vibrated. But all these little things in design that a lot of fans maybe don't think about actually really do matter for both for sports and for concerts.
1: All right. We teased the Dolan thing earlier, but so the Dolan family found itself $70 million richer last week and I feel like I'm kind of responsible for this. <laughs> and, or at least Kurt Badenhausen is <laughs> okay. responsible. But I guess it's kind of me because I told Kurt to do it. So, you know, I guess. But the the Dolans took a peek at sort of the valuations of their their clubs, Knicks and Rangers, and they realized that Wall Street had a lower valuation than like folks like us at Sportico do, and we put them out annually. So what what did they do? They bought some, you know, they bought a shares back and they uh they issued a special dividend and you know the Dolans found themselves with seventy million dollars more in their pocket, thanks to Sportico. I think you know. I think Jim should say thank you next time I see it.
0: <laughs> I, I think this is. I, I had actually never thought about the the way in which Wall Street values the the and Rangers, the parent company MSG Sports, relative to the way that 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 we do, and, and we do it better and they're so far they're so far apart right the i think we have the Knicks a little bit over 6 billion we have the Rangers a little bit under Knicks 2 billion Knicks
1: 6 Rangers at 187 yeah.
0: yeah so combined we have them at 8 billion dollars together the, the market cap of MSG sports, which includes a few uh, esports and a few development leagues, in addition to the Rangers and the Knicks is, is 3.7 billion as of the pricing on, on Friday. And that, that, so, yeah, but that and was so after the $10 much. bump,
1: by the way, that's that was after, after the, after the stock, after the
0: bump. So yeah. th- the way that that Sportico incurred, the way that we are valuing franchises and the way that wall street is, at least in this instance is, is, is a hundred percent off there. It's two X what, what, what wall street is. Uh, so yeah, as, as you mentioned, there was a special dividend paid, um, there was a seventy-five million dollars stock buyback. The price jumped up, and and Brendan Coffey, who I think reported this exactly the way that you should, looked at what it meant for the Dolan family, which is obviously the the, the biggest shareholder of, of MSG Sports. And they made seventy million dollars in the whole thing, between the uh, but between the dividend and and the stock jump. Yeah, so, the owner of yeah,
1: Aston Villa, Silver Lake, they all did very well.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, but but I am actually really interested. And in, in, in next time we have Kurt on, I would love to ask him this. But but how he views the difference between the way the Knicks and Rangers are valued in a public market and how much uh how much we've cuz I, I assume that i mean you were talking the other day about about the fact the fact that the Suns could sell for 4 billion dollars the Knicks obviously could sell for more than 4 billion dollars it is really interesting to me that the market cap of the whole the, the company that owns them uh is so low
1: all right we said we were going to discuss the NFL they're over in London they're going back to London Sportico will be going to London where We're going to have a whole bunch of North American and uh, European sports executives hanging out with us, uh, do one of our power lunches in conjunction with the good folks over at Legends. Thank you very much. Heard of them. Um, Yeah, That'll be a lot of fun. Can't wait to get over there. Um, What do you want to talk about? Knicks or I'm sorry, uh, Jets three and two. Giants, like I think once again, I think they have me to thank for it. All I had to do is for the first time in our however many years of doing this podcast was to make a joke against the Jets. And keep in mind, keep in mind, I grew up a Jets fan at Shea Stadium. I was there to see Richard Todd throw it to Wesley Walker, Johnny Lamb Jones. I was there for the sack exchange. I was there for the last game against the Pittsburgh Steelers where they got blown out. But I was there. I grew up a Jets fan. So I'm allowed to make fun of them a little bit, right? Just like our John Wall Street. You know, Corey Leff, again, another huge Jets fan. I left my fandom behind many, many years ago. Corey's still a little bit insane about the whole thing. But it's good for the NFL when the Jets and Giants are doing well. That is good for the NFL.
0: The, the Scott Soshnick tout service that said just, just bet against <laughs> just, the Jets every week well, is not having spreads. a good, not having a good month right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. You don't know well that's, but this could be one of those good trackers, just what do the opposite of whatever I say. And I think that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I think this is great for the NFL. I mean, the, the, in some ways you, you, you obviously love to have the, the big city teams doing well in other ways. I think the, the extreme parody, maybe not so great. I think you still want dominant teams out there. And if, if they had their choice between who would be better, the, the Packers or the, or the Giants, I'm actually not sure where the NFL nets out in all that. Did, did you see, by the way, that someone asked Tom Brady about uh, about all the parody in the league last week? And his answer no. was, I, I just see a lot of bad football. Just a lot of bad football being played a lot. I thought that yeah. was a well, very what, interesting comment. What have comment. I said to
1: you? What have yeah. I said to you for many, 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 many years? That you could take people like whatever college players who have no chance of ever making the NFL strap on the NFL uniforms and have them play a Sunday and people would watch it, love it, it. bet on it. No idea like, well, you know, like they didn't look as fast. They look slow today. (laughs) Well, that's because that's some washout who, you know, but you could do that. It's that's the I think really think the beauty of the NFL is that there is so much nameless, faceless. That it is almost besides the star quarterbacks, it's just interchangeable. The personnel is interchangeable. Go play and all those. I, you know, we're talking about Amazon drawing thirteen million folks, right? Uh, yeah. For the it's it's unbelievable what what an addictive hold football has on America.
0: Yeah, and and, and going back to the parody thing for a second, the. I think some people always think that parody is is great for leagues like this. I actually think that it's probably not right. That the NBA I think has, has gotten so much mileage out of the idea of super teams and, and and the dominant franchises and the NFL. I can't think of, and and I I can look this up and maybe I'll tweet about it. I would be really curious. When was the last time there were no undefeated, uh, undefeated NFL teams through week four of the season, I, I think the NFL obviously would also like to have these really interesting, dominant, undefeated teams that that, that, that keep growing you know, momentum and, and interest throughout the season. We're just not seeing that right now. And, and if Tom Brady is is right and and he knows more about football than ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people on the planet, uh, if, if the fact is that that the product is not as good and that's leading to a lot of parity, I also think that's really interesting.
1: But I'm not sure where you're going. We have an undefeated team. Do we? <laughs> oh, my God. You? Oh, are you serious, Novi Williams? <laughs> wow. Should, should, I, should I just let this be whichever fan, whichever fan base out there is uh, is the undefeated one. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll say it
0: the way they say it. The Eagles. The Eagles are undefeated. Okay, yeah, wow, that's uh maybe Matt can edit all of this out in post production.
1: No, no, we'll keep it. So, <laughs> you know, so you know the the uh, the seventy the Dolphins or whatever was it the last undefeated team? They always have a toast when somebody finally goes down, right? What is it, seventy two Dolphins yeah, or seventy three? Right.
0: Yeah, seventy two. Yeah,
1: so seventy two Dolphins. All right, yeah. I mean, come on. Well, Jeez, I apologize they, to
0: Philly. That's a bad fan base fl- to anger. Fly also. bird fly. Oh, yeah, that's, I'm going to
1: say, you know how much crap you're going to Battery's going to be flying Twitter through my chat. window of all, <laughs> of, of all, And I'm not going to bring up the tired Santa Claus thing, but of all the fan bases that are going to give you social crap, it's the Eagles, man. That's a tough one right well, there. Well, now I'm but an Eagles I, fan. But even so, let's just say they were four and one. I'm not sure I agree with you on that one. The NFL is, it's your fantasy. It's your betting. It's your week to week. I don't think they care. It's it is such appointment. It is part and uh, a fabric of people's lives that Sunday is football day. Now Thursday night, Monday night football. It's such appointment. <laughs> everything that and it's a week to week thing. Whether your team wins or loses, there's so much around it. It doesn't even matter anymore. It, it's it's almost like oh good now I got to check my fantasy team. Oh I got to get my bets in. I don't think it matters. I really yeah, don't. You,
0: you may be right. I, I would think that if I was the NFL's wallet, I would be rooting. Every weekend for Tom Brady, I would be rooting every weekend for the cow. I would be rooting for the, there would just be a few franchises that I would be rooting for all the time just because when they're good, it it feels even more either hate watching or, or fan watching.
1: All right. Well, there you have it. The
0: fly Uh, Eagles fly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The (laughs) ill-informed Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter. And this one's an important one this week, uh, Philadelphia on the Twitter at Novi underscore. Williams. I am Scott Soschnick on the Twitter at Soschnick. No need to be sending me your your uh, your hate tweets. That's good. That's Novi underscore Williams. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. He knows what's what. Our digital media editor is Cora Velvin. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media
0: Network.